One of the benefits of being in ministry for as long as I have is that I'm often granted opportunities to sit down with younger ministers, younger pastors, some of them that are, that are the lead pastors of their congregation for the very first time, and some of them have been assistant pastors at different churches, and they're stepping into roles where they begin to recognize the significant difference between having been an assistant and stepping into a lead role, and, and they begin to ask questions about that. Some of them are stepping into roles where they are in churches that need revitalization. And can I just tell you, we have churches that, that when you step into them, they're not life-giving, and we need to pray for them, that there would be something that God would revitalize within them. And, and some of these young men and women are stepping into those roles that need fresh vision and new leadership. They, they understand that they need a change in culture. And often, one of the first questions that they ask is, Pastor Doug, how long is this going to take? How long is it going to take to change people, to change the church, to change culture? And, and I said, longer than you think. There was a, a, about a dozen years ago a young man that I have known for some time that uh, felt a call into ministry, and he told me, he goes, I don't want to be anybody's assistant pastor. He said, I, I just want to start right in, and I want to plant my own church. And we have a program that helps uh, young men and women that want to plant churches. And so they had gone through the program. They had gone through the education. They had prepared themselves, were working to, get, to put a team together. And uh, this, this young man had been through our camps and conventions, came from a very healthy church and retreats. And so as he was going through all of this, he was, he was thankful for the investment of people that was helping him in preparing this new church that he was going to launch. And he gathered a launch team around him, and they had done some work in the community, and finally they launched this church. And, and, and uh, it wasn't but just a few weeks later that he gives me a call, and he says, can, can we talk? And I said, sure. He goes, I, I am distraught. We've been doing this for weeks, and nothing is happening. He said, nothing is going the way that I thought it would go. He said, people aren't listening to me. The church isn't growing. He says, how do I get people to do what I tell them to do? I laughed, and we had a nice talk about what effective leadership means, how it takes time, consistent good decisions and judgment over a period of time that brings you to a place where people can begin to trust your leadership and those things. And he says, I'm not interested in that. I need a culture change immediately. And I said, cultures don't change immediately. They don't change quickly. There's an African proverb that says, if you want to go fast go alone. If you want to go far, go together. How many of you have heard of that before? Several of you have. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. There is so much advice and there are so many techniques on how to change cultures of churches. And honestly, I don't believe it's as complicated as many people make it to be, but it does require a buy-in. Culture, let me define this, is simply a set of shared values. Culture forms as groups of people begin to value similar things and want to live that out together. But whatever we value defines our culture. And it's not hard to understand, but it can be, it can be extremely difficult to change. Certainly part of the challenge is getting people to value something new. But the real challenge of changing a church culture or even changing your personal family culture is getting people to be honest about what you really value. 
There are times when we will say that we value something or something is important, but by the way that we live our life, if other people to were, were to watch us, they would recognize that what we say we value and what we live out that we value might not look the same. There are things that we say that we should value. Knowing something is valuable doesn't actually mean that you value it. And prayer is like that. We know here in our heads as the people of God, that prayer is valuable. We know that it is a vital part of a believer's life. We know that Jesus valued prayer. We know that prayer is valuable, and we know it in ourselves. But when it comes to our lifestyle, when it comes to the way we practice our values, if people on the outside were looking at us, Determining our values by the way that we speak and the things that we do, it might not show up to them that prayer is as valuable. And in a church setting, a culture of prayer simply means that our church both knows the value of prayer and personally values it themselves enough to participate in it. One of the churches that I most highly admire is the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York City. I was a part of a, a presbytery group that went there to visit several years ago, and, and we were there on a Tuesday night and were able to participate in its prayer meeting. And I remember being told that we had to call ahead to get reserved seats because it packs out on Tuesday nights. And I remember as we got there, the superintendent, the presbytery, we got there, and somebody came and took, got us, and, and there was a line of people that were outside the door waiting to get in. This is not a Sunday service. This is a Tuesday night prayer meeting, waiting to get in. And so being that we had reserved seats, they brought us in, and, you know, I don't know what I was expecting, but they put us in the back row of the balcony. And we watched as this place filled up, and over that Tuesday evening prayer time. The worship was wonderful. The times of prayer were intense and fervid. And as we had a chance to talk to the pastor later on, he said, there are people that many of them would rather come to our Tuesday night prayer than they would our Sunday morning services because the value of prayer and the culture of prayer is so strong within them and so strong within the church, they recognize that that part cannot be missed. A culture of prayer in the church starts with each individual valuing prayer on their own and in their own personal lives. This means that we must build in our own lives a personal altar of sacrifice. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6. In verses 5 and 6, the Scripture says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Father, I pray that over these next few moments that you will take the word and that there won't be a single person in this room or watching online that will feel as if this was wasted time. I ask that the divine spirit of God, as we prayed, that you would mold us and melt us and make us, that, that in the middle of doing all of this in our life, that there would be something from your word proclaimed under the anointing of your Holy Spirit that would bring about a change in us. And if there are those that are here today that do not know you personally, may today be the greatest day of their life when they come in contact with the grace of the Lord Jesus. 
And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a few minutes ago, Pastor Jeff was here, and he led us in, in communion. And it is one of the two ordinances of the church, whereby Christians declare to the world that we have died to ourselves and that we live in Christ. The other ordinance of the church is water baptism. We will be having a water baptism service on the last Sunday of February. And in that time, we're going to warm the water up, at least I hope it's warm, when we get into the baptismal tank, we invite those that have received Jesus as their Savior in, and we take them in, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We dunk them completely, lifting them up, symbolizing that they have died to the old life of sin and that they are being resurrected in the new life of Christ. It's symbolic of something that has taken place at an altar of sacrifice within our own life. And Jesus, when he died on the cross, he ended the old covenant of animal sacrifice once and for all, and he became the Lamb of God that was slain for the sins of the world. If you're here today and you're wondering why we celebrate when we worship the Lord, it is because I know who I was, and I know what happened to me when Jesus came into my life, and I know who I am as a result of that, and it's something I couldn't do on my own, but I give glory to God because my sins have been forgiven, and I'm grateful for that. Before Jesus died on the cross in the Old Testament, there are several instances where it talks about what sacrifice and the altar of sacrifice looked like. It was a place of death. It was a place set aside for intentional sacrifice, a place where God's people would bring sacrifices to him, and every worshiper was required to bring animals to be sacrificed during the special festivals, and the number of sacrifices could swell into the thousands on any given day. In fact, when Solomon dedicated the temple, there's this really fascinating verse that's found in 1 Kings chapter 8 verse 5, that gives you an idea of the massiveness of this altar of sacrifice in the Old Testament. It said that King Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel, in other words, this gives us the idea that every person in the country had gathered about him were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and cattle that they could not be recorded and they could not be counted. I Just let that scene settle into your heart for a minute. So many sheep and cows and oxen were being killed and sacrificed at the altar. They lost count of the number of herds that were there. Each worshiper would be responsible for bringing an unblemished livestock, whether it was a cow, a calf, a bull, or a lamb, and, and bring them and offer them to God at these altars. And the daily sacrifices were an act of worship, but it was also a personal sacrifice on the part of every worshiper. It cost them something. It must have been overwhelming to witness but I do not want you to miss that the central act of the place is this act of worship was an act of death. An animal had its throat slit. An animal was bled out. An animal was, was, uh, was butchered. And the altar was a symbolic place of death. Why was death so important to Israel's worship? It was because they understood that God said, it is sin that separates you from me. And sin always has consequences. And sin will always cost you something. In fact, sin will take you farther than you want to go, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. 
And as a result of that, in order to have the sins covered, it was going to cost something of great value, including the life of an unblemished animal. They recognized that they needed to put those things to death to be able to stay in in the presence of God and be right with Him. It was an act of relationship. And the Israelites would sacrifice the best of what they possessed in order to receive something better from God. And they wanted His presence, and they wanted His blessing. Sacrifice was the path to God. And even though Jesus has died for us and we no longer rely on the blood of sheep and goats and cattle to atone for our sins, there is still death that is required when we build an altar of sacrifice in order to follow Jesus. We are required to die to our flesh. We are required to die to our will. We die to ourselves and other in order that we might have this new relationship available to us. And this is the way Paul puts it in in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, because this is your spiritual act of worship. Just a few moments ago, we were singing... I love at times just to turn around and look at the body of Christ as we're worshiping. There, there are some of you that you can't stand still. There are some of you that just stand there with your arms up. There's people that have tears running down their faces as each one of the words that we sing has such a significance to each of us as we begin to offer the sacrifices of praise. And some of you come from situations where it is a real sacrifice for you to begin to praise the Lord. And you recognize that there is that that act of worship that is musical. There's also an act of worship that we do when we come and we build an altar before the Lord. We no longer place bulls or rams or sheep on a temple altar, but we do make sacrifices. We offer the death of our will. We build a personal altar and ask that as we submit ourselves to God that we yield to His leadership in everything that we do and that His will would be done. And listen closely. Any unwillingness on our part to die to ourselves will stunt your relationship with God. In fact, at the level and at the place where in your times of prayer that God begins to lead you and speak to you that you tell Him no more, that is where you are capped in growth. You can go no farther than your obedience. I believe that one of the reasons people don't pray is because they are unwilling to allow the Lord access to their calendars to their appetites, to their emotions, and to their distractions. And every day, when you build an altar of prayer, you build an altar and you make a sacrifice. And every day, that sacrifice that you give to the Lord is consumed, and then the next day you do it again, and the next day you do it again, and we continue to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. There was a fascinating part of the the sacrificial process in the Old Testament that I just want to highlight briefly for just the next few moments. There were three parts to the sacrifice in the Old Testament. There was the part that was removed, there was the part that was shared, and there was the part that was consumed. One of my least favorite books, this is horrible for a pastor to say, so just forgive me, I'm just a real person. Whenever I get to this particular book in the Bible, it is not my favorite because it's so detailed, but it's the book of Leviticus. I won't ask for a show of hands how many of you have memorized that book because I do not want to embarrass you. Leviticus 
chapter 4, in this Levitical book, there is great detail given as to the sacrificial process. And, and as we look at this part that is removed, it says in Leviticus 4, 11 and 12, but the hide of the bull and all its flesh, as well as the head and legs, the inner parts and the offal, that is the rest of the bull, he must take it outside of the camp to a place ceremonially clean where the ashes are thrown and burn it in a wood fire on the ash heap. As I mentioned, Leviticus is a very detailed book as it relates to the sacrifice. But it is telling us that every sacrifice that was ever brought and laid on the altar and sacrificed for their sin, it included a part that had to be removed from the animal and that the individual who brought the sacrifice was responsible for taking parts of that outside of the camp to a special place where it would be thrown into a, a ceremonially clean place and then they had to provide the wood to burn it. It was work to take things outside the camp and get rid of them. As we prepare our own selves and our own lives for a sacrifice daily, we begin to recognize that the Holy Spirit, when we build an altar of sacrifice, on a daily basis will begin to reveal to each of us things in our lives that He wants us to put in the cart and take out of our life. We each have trash cans in our home. And when they get full, we know that we have to take it out and move it someplace. Do you recognize that there is a part of the sacrificial process in our lives when we build an altar and the Lord saying, listen, there are aspects of this that are trash in your life. And if you don't take those out, they're going to begin to smell and they're going to begin to infest the whole environment of where you live. And so we search our heart when we pray and we ask God, Lord, would you help me find anything in me that is unconfessed sin? We ask him to help us, Lord, with the evil desires that we may have, our, our unholy motives, wrong ideas. God, this is my personal altar, and I'm offering myself, and there are parts of me that you're saying, I need to get rid of those things from you because they're holding you back, and they need to be taken outside of the camp and outside of your life. And he begins to show us what distracts us from him. And the things that he finds unpleasant in us. It is called growing in refinement or becoming more and more sanctified. Now, sanctified is an interesting word. It simply means that when you come to Jesus Christ and you receive him as your Lord and Savior, believing that everything that he did was for you, and you receive that forgiveness, you are instantly sanctified. Meaning that if at that moment you were called to stand before him, the Father would look at you and see the righteousness of Jesus completely applied to you, completely and totally holy because of what he did. However, we still live on this earth. As a result of that, there is a growth process that takes place in our life. We call it discipleship. We call it growing in the Lord, growing in sanctification by which each of us on a daily basis when we lay ourselves on that altar of sacrifice, ask God, would you please prune from me, take out of me, remove from me those elements of my life that are keeping me from becoming everything that you desire me to be. Lord, there are things in my life that I need to take outside the camp. Would you show them to me? For those of you that have children that span multiple age bands, uh, groups, you recognize that you have different expectations for your teenager than you do for your kindergartner. As they grow, you begin to expect more from them in behavior and, and right way of doing things, and, and you discipline them based upon their age and development. So it is with our Heavenly Father. 
His discipline is not all at once. He walks with us. And as we offer ourselves on that altar of sacrifice, He reveals to us the things that He desires to remove from us so that we can grow in Him. And this is the reason that the Bible warns us not to put new believers in places of spiritual authority or in spiritual leadership too early. They may be given responsibilities that their character has not yet been developed enough to carry. So you do not ask your infant to carry in the groceries from the car. They are not strong enough, but in time, they will be. I can't recall through the years a single instance where I've had to counsel individuals who have experienced significant moral failure in their lives that were now seeking to be restored, wanted to be right with God again. And as we begin to talk, every one of them would say, what led me to this was not a single moment of temptation, but what happened is I completely got to the point where I began to disregard what God wanted me to take out of my life at the altar every day. I began to tell him I'm not willing to do that by my actions more than my words Or I got to the place where I was so tired of the Holy Spirit leading me to do those things, I quit praying altogether. And in doing so, opened myself up to things that God did not want for me. God will always be faithful at your personal altar to inform you what needs to be removed because He is always at work to bring us closer to Himself. God will reveal it, but it's your responsibility to remove it and carry it outside the camp. He won't do that for you. So if you want a stronger Christian life, if you want to live in the power of great authority, you must come to the altar with a willingness to remove from your life those things that God desires at the altar of sacrifice. There was another thing that took place at the altar. There was a part that was shared. Leviticus chapter 6, verses 25 through 27. These are the regulations for the sin offering. The sin offering is to be slaughtered before the Lord in the place the burnt offering is to be slaughtered. It's most holy. The priest who offers it shall eat it. It is to be eaten in the holy place, in the courtyard of the tent of meeting. Whoever touches any of the flesh will become holy. And if any of the blood is splattered on a garment, you must wash it in a holy place. I don't know about you, but when I think about butchering thousands and thousands of sacrifices, I have to believe that the priest's garments look like a butcher's robe by the end of the day, that they had to wash this in a holy place because they became so bloody in all of this. When the ancient sacrifices were being offered, the priests were able to survive because there was a part of that sacrifice that became their food. And so it was a shared part of the sacrifice that they alone could participate in, and there were some very strict uh, rituals as to what they could and couldn't eat out of that. It's always that way when we allow ourselves to be laid in an altar of sacrifice. There will be parts of your life that God wants to share that you may not have been willing to do before. As God begins to work in our life, as He begins to, as we lay those things and recognize He wants to remove some parts of us, He's also going to say to you, there are parts of your life that I'm going to use you to share with other people that will be a benefit to them. This past week, I did the funeral for a 24-year-old young man. As I was looking at his parents, I told them, I said, you may not know it right now, but there is going to come a day when you will heal well enough that you will be able to speak into the lives of others who are experiencing this same hurt. That there will be aspects of this horrible 
event in your life that God is going to use to begin to share with others because I could not look at them and tell them that I know how they feel because I do not. But they will be able to stand with others who have experienced that same thing, and they will be able to look them in the eye and say, I have walked that path. And I want to share with you what God has placed within me through that. There are parts that when we lay our lives on an altar of sacrifice that God is going to use to share with others. We oftentimes tend to think of sacrifices as something that is lost, but God uses them to feed and sustain the faith of someone else. Jesus understood that he did not come to be served, but he came to serve, and he gave his life away to others. His sacrifice became our bread of life. His sacrifice became our cup of salvation. I'm so glad today that I serve a Savior who knew what it was like to put himself on an altar of sacrifice for my benefit and for yours. Jesus set a great example about this shared part when he was water baptized by John. It tells us in Matthew 3, verses 13 through 15. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, but John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. Now, John, the reason that he was fighting this is because he knew that water baptism was a symbol of repentance, and he also knew that Jesus was sinless. There was nothing for him to repent of. It seemed foolish to him that Jesus would have to be water baptized. But what Jesus knew, that he was about to enter into a season of temptation, a wilderness time in which Satan was going to test his faithfulness to God. And Jesus was baptized not because he was sinful, not because he was being uh, showing his repentance, but he was doing it as an act of submission. He was submitting his power, his will, and his rights back to God. His water baptism was giving himself and his rights away to the world. It was an altar of sacrifice by which he was sharing himself. I want to share with those of you, I know that we have a number of people in this church that currently are pursuing credentials because you want to go into ministry. One of the things that I often share with them, and it's important for all of you to know, is the higher you go in spiritual leadership, the more personal freedoms you willingly give up. The higher you go in spiritual leadership, the more personal freedoms you willingly give up so that you can be shared with others. There are things that you say, well, it's okay for me to do this, but it could be a stumbling block to somebody else. So in leadership, you say, I just won't do that because that's part of the sacrificial life. And Jesus and his followers, and as his followers, we do the same thing. We place our lives on an altar of sacrifice, and we willingly renounce our rights for the benefit of others. And part of our daily altar is taking a moment each day to remember that our life is now his life. And in an intentional act, there are parts of the sacrifice of your life that he will share with others. And then lastly, there's the part that's consumed. In Leviticus chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, it says, He shall remove all of the fat from the bowl of the sin offering, the fat that covers the inner parts or is connected to them, both the kidneys with the fat of them near the loins and the covering of the liver, which he will remove with the kidneys, just as the fat is removed from the ox sacrificed as a fellowship offering. Then the priest shall burn them on an altar of burnt offering. There was a part that was removed and taken outside the camp. There was a part that was to be shared. 
And then there was the part that was consumed by fire. Now, I will admit to you that as I pictured this, and you begin to think of the thousands of animals that were being sacrificed in this fire, my first mind goes to barbecue. Can you imagine what the countryside smelled like if you were downwind of all of the fine meat and all of the fat that was being burned in this, in this fire of sacrifice? And, and as it's floating through the land, people are going, oh, that, that makes me hungry. I have to imagine that there was an aroma, and we know that it smelled good because God says, I received the burnt offering and the aroma of the incense of that came to... I, I can't wait for the great supper of the lamb when we get there because there's going to be barbecue there. The incense of this was something that was unique just from the person that gave it and to God. There are things in your life that need to be removed. There are things in your life that need to be shared, but there's also some things in your life that you need to give to God alone, personally, just you and Him in intimate relationship, a place to enjoy His presence, a place to enjoy His friendship. You need a place where you can pray where no one else can hear you. And this is important because there are some things that you need to tell God that nobody else needs to know. There are times when you need to get away from your family because you need to have a conversation with God that they don't even need to know about. Lord, this is just you and me. There are some things that run through your mind. There are questions that you have. There are times when you're angry with God. Do you know that it's okay to tell Him you're angry? Some of you say, I'm so ashamed that I have questions. He knows your thoughts. You might as well tell Him what's going on. He knows everything that's there, but it's in this personal prayer time. It's in the, when you're giving this incense of sacrifice to Him that this intimacy begins to develop and, and there's a communication style that develops between you and your Father that nobody else knows because it's so personal and intentioned to Him. And it's in this when you're offering this that it becomes such a sweet smell to Him. And it's a secret place alone with you and God. You need an altar because it's the access to the secret places of God for you and for He to get together. Worship team, if you'd please come. There are times in your secret place with God where there are some pretty important questions that you need to ask. Who am I? Why am I here? What's the purpose of my creation? The world has made a mess of people trying to answer those questions without the help of God. And God said, is it in that secret place, that altar of sacrifice, when you and I begin to talk and I can begin to reveal to you through the Word and I can begin to reveal to you in prayer, I can begin to reveal to you through the, the prompting of the Holy Spirit, everything that your heart longs to know as it relates to me, I can reveal those things to you. But it takes you valuing prayer the personal altar of sacrifice. It change you, causes you to change a personal culture and believe that your prayer has value and that God is up to something in your life that you may not have seen. It causes you to come to a place where you say, there are things in my life I need to get rid of. I know these things that are holding me back. There are things in my life I need to share. And there are some things in my life that is strictly between God and me and the personal intimacy of our time together.